0: Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.
1: when Stephanie Bennett is found brutally raped and murdered in her Lake Lynn apartment.
2: This is the kind of story that I think is every parent's worst nightmare.
1: A dark cloud descends over the town of Raleigh, North Carolina that will take three and a half years to break. That
3: kind of thing doesn't happen here in our nice little little town.
1: And the local police find themselves amid a whirlwind, the likes of which only the biggest cities have seen.
4: This person of interest crap, I'm interested in everybody until they're eliminated as a
1: suspect. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Just nine miles to the north of Raleigh, North Carolina, is the community of Lake Lynn. It's a short drive from its big city neighbor. But the three-mile lake, with its tree-lined paths and grassy knolls, provides the perfect jumping off point for young people hoping to get their feet wet in the world.
2: Lake Lynn is an area with a lot of apartment complexes. They're affordable. They are in picturesque areas around
5: the lake. After I graduated college, I wasn't sure where I wanted to live. I knew that I didn't want to live in a big city, like a New York or Washington, D.C. I didn't want to live in a small town either, so something in between.
1: 23-year-old Deanna Powell and her stepsister, Stephanie Bennett, are more than family their best friends.
5: Stephanie was a very sweet person. She was kind, fun-loving, easygoing, wouldn't hurt anyone, just a, a all-around nice person.
1: It was Deanna and Stephanie's dream to one day move away from home and share an apartment in a town like Raleigh.
5: All of the, the southern things that North Carolina is known for, like barbecue or sweet tea. That people's way of living is not fast-paced. People take time to wave and speak and say hello.
6: They just wanted to get out and be on their own. And I thought that was, if that's what she wanted, that would be a good move. It appears to be just
1: that. The girls go about their lives in the real world until the unthinkable happens. The evening of May 20th, 2002, is just another humdrum Monday night on Lake Glenn. It's nice and quiet in the girls' small apartment. Deanna is out of town and Stephanie has the place to herself.
2: That evening, Stephanie came home from work. It was a routine day by all accounts. She talked on the phone that evening with several people, including her boyfriend at the time.
1: Stephanie is only a month away from moving to South Carolina to live with her boyfriend, Walter. Before hanging up, Stephanie promises to fax him an apartment application for their new place, first thing in the morning. And then she's off to bed with a good book. The next morning at 11 AM, Walter realizes Stephanie hasn't faxed him the application.
2: People started trying to reach Stephanie that morning. Her boyfriend called, he emailed. I had tried to call Stephanie two
5: or three times that day. Hey, can you call me back? But I didn't get her and I just figured she was in a meeting or busy. And then her work had called and said she had not showed up for work that day. It was unlike Stephanie. I immediately knew something was wrong.
1: Deanna calls a mutual friend in Raleigh, who agrees to swing by their place to check things
5: out. I said, well, since you're near there, would you mind riding by and see if her car is at our apartment? So he did that, and her car was there. But at that point, I said, well, I'm going to call my apartment management and have them go into the apartment and check on her. When I called them and asked them, they said that that was no problem. They would give me a call back in about 20 minutes. Twenty minutes passed, and they didn't call back.
1: The apartment manager is too busy calling 911. Lieutenant Chris Morgan, a Raleigh native, is known around town as the man in the white hat.
4: I started wearing a hat to keep my head warm in the winter and cool in the summer. Hats are good. After a while, I got very fond of my hats. Whenever we clear a big case, I buy myself a new hat. Kind of a little reward.
1: Morgan is just two years away from retirement. He hopes to buy many new hats before then. But first things first.
4: I was at work, get a call from the watch commander. Morgan. He said, we've got a deceased person out at Lake Lynn, apartment out there, white female, appears to be
1: in her 20s. It's not a lot of information to go on. But it's Lieutenant Morgan's job to find out more.
4: I walked down the hall, through the living room, down the short hallway. And as I looked over to my right, I saw a body of a young white female laying on her back on the floor. I started immediately taking stock of what I I saw. And in this particular case, There were a lot of things that were very, very disturbing.
1: The victim is lying on her back with some pronounced ligature marks around her neck, wrists, and ankles.
4: Was this a suicide? No, obviously. The restraint marks were totally inconsistent with suicide. Is there any other explanation? Could this be some kind of bizarre natural or accidental death? Certainly not. And from that point, you know, you immediately come to the conclusion, we're dealing with
1: a a homicide here. In addition to being strangled to death, there's evidence that Stephanie was sexually assaulted. Evidence in the form of seminal fluid. The killer provided and removed whatever he used to bind and strangle Stephanie.
4: I'd never had a ligature strangulation case where the ligature had been removed and was no longer present at the scene. We were dealing with a careful, organized offender, someone who had brought what he needed to commit the crime to the scene and had also taken it away with him after the crime had been committed.
1: Morgan knows that this one is going to take some time.
5: I kind of knew that she was dead. I never would have suspected that someone did that to her. But I kind of knew.
6: We were wrecked for a while. During that time is when kind of the strength started showing because uh, there was so much outpouring of love and friendship Lieutenant Morgan makes a promise to
1: Stephanie's family. He's going to find the killer before he retires.
4: Every homicide investigation should start at the inside and work out. You have to eliminate family members. You have to eliminate boyfriends, girlfriends. You have to eliminate friends because most people are murdered by
1: people that they are familiar with. But Morgan suspects that this murder was not committed by someone who knew Stephanie at all.
4: This was not a crime of passion at all. This ain't a case where the boyfriend did this. It was just cold, dispassionate. You know, there was absolutely nothing that gave me any sense of emotion having been involved in the commission of this crime. We were dealing with a sexual sadist.
1: But can they catch him? before he strikes again.
4: It may be next week, it may be next year, but he's not going to stop. He's going to do it again.
1: And there's no telling who his next victim may be. WRAL reporter Amanda Lamb covers the crime beat in Raleigh, North Carolina, so she's used to the sleazy side of things. But when 23-year-old Stephanie Bennett is found murdered in her apartment, Amanda just can't make sense of it.
2: She was the girl next door. She wasn't a person that tried to call attention to herself. She did nothing to put herself in harm's way. And this is the kind of story that I think is every parent's worst nightmare.
1: But no one gets away with murder on Amanda Lamb's beat.
2: We'll keep you updated throughout the day as the story develops. Amanda Lamb, WRAL News, Raleigh.
1: Luckily, Lieutenant Chris Morgan's on the case. His theory about the murder being committed by a stranger is just that, a theory. But investigations aren't solved on theory alone.
4: Everybody's always a suspect. This person of interest, crap. Yeah, I don't have persons of interest. I'm interested in everybody until they're eliminated as a suspect.
1: The case is short on DNA and long on suspects.
4: Everybody that Stephanie knew was a suspect, in a way, because we had to eliminate him.
1: All of Stephanie's family and friends are cleared, several suspects down, several hundred to go. A quick check through CODIS the combined DNA index might do the trick.
4: I didn't think that the offender's profile would have been in the national database. I don't know why I didn't think so. You know, I had a gut feeling that this case was not going to be solved that easily.
1: Morgan's gut is right. The murder wasn't perpetrated by a known offender. Morgan, meet square one. Square one, meet Morgan.
4: Fear goes through your head. Fear because I don't want another father to be in the same position that Carmen Bennett's in. Fear that we're not going to catch this guy because we have every reason to believe that this type of offender is going to commit this crime in all likelihood multiple times.
1: The clock is ticking. Officers hit the pavement in droves. Then, after one week on the case, a break.
4: We had a witness who came forward, said, I've seen a suspicious person there around Stephanie's apartment on a couple of occasions. I can help you create a composite sketch of that individual.
2: We got the sketch very early on in the case. We put it right out there because we wanted the public to be able to respond to it, to call the police with leads. It was a young man, clean cut, did not look like what most of us would think of as a sexual predator or a killer.
1: The sketch generates hundreds of leads, but nothing substantial. Raleigh resident Joanne Riley sees the composite sketch in the local paper. She didn't exactly know Stephanie, but the murder changed her life forever.
3: It was Stephanie's death that uh, caused me to just stop getting newspapers altogether. I just could not handle um, that type of news.
1: Joanne thinks there's nothing she can do to help the police solve this case, so she does the only thing she knows how.
3: I got on my knees and prayed that the person who did this would would be found and be be held accountable. Certainly, somebody, somewhere, a teacher or counselor or something, had to know that he just wasn't um, normal.
1: But what is normal? Joanne Riley will soon learn that you can work side by side with a cold-hearted killer and not even know it. For now, though, it's left to the investigators to work the case through good old-fashioned police work. Stephanie's autopsy confirms what everyone already knows. Cause of death is ligature strangulation. But the suspect took the ligature with him. Who does that? Dr. Michael Teague is a dyed-in-the-wool history buff. He can trace his North Carolina lineage back to the mid-1700s. But his real passion is his work, forensic psychology.
7: I think the kind of killer that I was looking for in Stephanie's case was somebody who was very mission-oriented, who was very focused, knew how to have a plan. He waited until there was only one lady at the apartment that night. I didn't see him in there just losing control and being very emotional. He knew exactly
1: what he wanted, and he accomplished it. With a profile and composite in place, investigators just have to catch him. It won't be easy. Long, hot days in Raleigh threatened to turn into long, hot weeks. And Lieutenant Morgan's current fedora is looking a little worse for wear. But then, a light bulb goes off over his hat. Will it shine the light on the peeping Tom seen outside Stephanie's apartment?
4: One of the first things that I did was grab as many detectives who were very good at conducting surveillance. And I said, if this peeper has anything to do with it, there's a good chance that he might still be out there peeping.
1: The stakeout is on, and quickly they spot someone.
4: One of the drug detectives observed a guy go up to an apartment building in a complex on the other side of the lake. He sees the guy go right up to the window, ground floor window of an apartment, and spend several minutes there peeping in at what was later discovered to be a young woman on the other side. He watches him move from there to another apartment where he does exactly the same thing. That's when the young uh, narcotics detective said, okay, this is going to
1: stop. And stop it does. The peeper, a man named Samuel Cartwell, is arrested and whisked off to the PD for processing. And Cartwell is no stranger to crime.
4: He's a freak. He had a substantial history of misdemeanor sex offenses. He had an assault on a female. He had a couple of prior charges for
1: peeping Tom. Has this Tom finally taken his peeping to the next level?
7: Not all peeping Toms become stranger rapists, but just about all stranger rapists were peeping Toms.
1: It looks like police may finally have their man. Or do they? Raleigh, North Carolina has been on its fair share of top ten lists. The top ten best places to live. Top ten best quality of life. So that's what makes the slaying of Stephanie Bennett so darn hard to accept.
3: I think um, the town of Raleigh was very stunned that a murder like this could happen. That kind of thing doesn't happen here in our nice little little town.
1: The police, of course, are doing what they do, running down leads.
2: They were clearly following anybody that might be a peeping tom, and in this case, they arrested the guy who was doing an obscene act in public as he was peeping. And they realized that this could be the guy.
1: Lieutenant Chris Morgan is cautiously optimistic. But the suspect, Samuel Cartwell, doesn't really look much like their composite.
4: We had a good charge on this particular offender. We could keep him in jail take his DNA sample that we had obtained at the time of his arrest, have it compared to the suspect sample in the Bennett case, and, you know, turned out it didn't match.
1: With no DNA match, this Tom is dropped as a suspect in Stephanie's murder. But he still faces charges for his peeping. It's a big blow for the investigation. Over the next two years, hundreds of suspects are questioned and eliminated. For Stephanie's father, Carmen, it's a nightmare that he just can't wake up from.
6: I had gotten to the point that I didn't think we would ever get an answer to Stephanie's death. And we were, we were getting very frustrated with that. We offered a $100,000 reward, and we set up websites about Stephanie. We did everything we could to cooperate with the police and, and enhance their investigation, but to no avail.
1: Lieutenant Chris Morgan's retirement looms above him like a dark cloud, and with it, any hope of solving Stephanie's murder. And there is no shortage of crack detectives to pass this one off to. But whom?
4: When it came to Stephanie Bennett, that was one of the more difficult decisions that I ever had to make. You've got detective over here who's, you know, real sharp, looks good in a suit, knows his numbers. You got a detective over here, very good in interviewing interrogation. And then you look over at Ken Copeland. I call him a garbage man. He's a detective who goes through every piece of evidence, every lead, everything that's been discarded. And sooner or later, if it's there, he'll find it. They call me the garbage man because I am thorough at crime scenes,
8: that I do not leave any evidence out, and I examine everything.
1: It's with that determination, Copeland dumpster dives right into Stephanie Bennett's case files.
8: We actually located a timeline. It listed everybody that they had interviewed during the initial investigation. We located three or four people that had mentioned that they had seen a suspicious person either walking around the lake while loitering around Stephanie Bennett's apartment complex. All right, that'll be good. Thank you.
1: But the peeping tom was arrested and officially dropped as a suspect. Could there actually be two peeping toms lurking around Lake Lynn? Copeland thinks so.
8: One person came forward and said that he remembered the time that he had seen the suspicious man. He stated that he had walked out of his apartment late one night, and when he walked past Stephanie Bennett's apartment building, he noticed what he thought was the light on the end of a cigarette. When he took note of that, he saw a person stand up and slide down the apartment building very slowly.
1: The voyeur didn't miss a beat. He walked calmly toward the tree line and disappeared down the path to a neighboring apartment building. And that's not all.
8: This witness said that he saw what he think may have been the same man about two weeks later, walking a large brown and black dog.
1: Copeland and his partner waste no time tracking the man with the dog.
8: We went to the neighboring apartment complex and we sat down in the um, office and we began talking to the people that worked at the apartment complex. And just in general conversation, I asked him, hey, who's the guy with the brown and black rock that used to live here? And It was like a record scratched. There was silence. Everybody kind of looked at each other, and it was a little bit of an awkward moment. But one person came out the back, and her exact line to me was, his name is Drew Plant, and he is a strange bird.
1: Well, wouldn't you know it? Police have been looking for a strange bird.
8: They stated that he was a recluse. He didn't socialize with people much in the apartment complex. And he had a very distinctive walk. Normally, he walked with his hands in his pocket. He usually had his head down. He would not make eye contact.
1: Copeland and his partner go to Planton's work to interview him.
8: It was a kind of a large open building. And you had to walk in and ask for a person at the receptionist desk. So we walked in and asked, could we speak to Drew Planton? And she stated that she would call him down to see us. My partner and I saw Drew Planton start walking down these steps. And we both said to ourselves, will you look at that? When he walked down the steps, he walked with his head down. He had his hands in his pocket. He did not make eye contact with the person in front of him. A lightning bolt goes off in Copeland's mind. We may not have found the person that killed Stephanie Bennett. But I believe we just found our peeping tongue.
0: Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones, or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery.
9: Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for your year, or design your summer. They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like, Are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer? A morning person or a night person? Abundance lover or simplicity lover? And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Raleigh police managed to track down the strange bird lurking around Stephanie Bennett's apartment in the days before she was murdered. A strange bird named Drew Planton.
8: We explained that we were detectives with the Royal Police Department. We were investigating the Stephanie Bennett murder, at which time his demeanor changed a little bit. And at one point during um, our conversation, he began to shake just about
1: uncontrollably. Drew declines to go to the police station for questioning.
8: We arranged an appointment to go out and conduct an interview with him in his apartment
1: the following Tuesday. It's not the ideal outcome, but it will have to do. On Thursday, May 26, 2005, Detective Ken Copeland and his partner meet Drew Planton at his apartment at 5 p.m. sharp. He denies having much knowledge of the case and misses several seemingly innocuous questions.
8: We asked him, did he wear glasses, at which time he replied no. But we knew from his DMV records that he had a restriction on his driver's license where he had to have corrective lenses. And we asked him had he ever been to the Bridgeport apartment complex where Stephanie Bennett lived. And he stated he had not, which witnesses had seen him walking his large dog over in that apartment complex.
1: Copeland explains to Drew that the simplest way to get the cops off his back is to submit the tiniest little DNA sample.
8: He refused to give one at that time. So I asked him if he felt a little bit more comfortable emailing me his response a couple of days later, at which time I gave him a business card, my email address on it.
1: A few days later, Copeland receives a rather pleasant email from Drew Plantin. Thanks, but no thanks. The lack of DNA is not a complete loss. Copeland had an ulterior motive when he asked Plantin to drop him an email. In the early stages of the investigation, Stephanie's father, Carmen Bennett, set up a website in honor of his beloved daughter.
8: That website was there to give information. It was there to receive information. However, it was also there to monitor um, some of the people to visit that
1: website. As coincidence would have it, Drew Planton, who claims he knows very little about the murder, visited the site more than once. But it's not enough to warrant a warrant for his DNA.
8: We did not have enough evidence to show that Drew Planton was, in fact, connected to the Stephanie Bennett case.
1: Don't ever let it be said that you can't get blood or DNA from a stone. If Drew Planton won't submit the DNA, investigators will submit it for him.
8: We wanted to see if we could get something that he discarded, such as a cigarette butt, um, maybe something that he drank from. Um, so we did a week's worth of surveillance on his workplace.
1: But the stakeout is a bust. After a week, investigators are unsuccessful in getting a decent sample of Planton's DNA. Detective Copeland and his team aren't ready to let this one go. They switch gears and try a new tack.
8: So my partner and I felt at that point, the only way we may be able to get some more information about him is to speak to people at his
1: workplace. As it happens, Drew Planton has a very helpful supervisor. She's a kindly woman who believes in the best in people and wouldn't be caught dead associating with a suspected killer. Her name is Joanne Riley.
3: Drew was kind of an odd duck. He was very, very, very shy. And the general consensus at work uh, was that um, he needed help with um, socializing. And so um, several people um, took an interest in helping
1: helping him out. Is Drew Planton an antisocial misfit? Yes. Is he a sexual sadist flash murderer? Surely not.
3: I agreed to participate in the investigation because I hoped that any little teeny thing that I could do might bring some... Um, closure might help find the killer, even though I did not think that it would be likely that the killer would be found in in my laboratory.
1: Joanne Riley, your first assignment, if you choose to accept it, is to get a copy of Planton's time cards from May of 2002.
8: We wanted to know if he had left work early the day before and could have possibly been waiting for her in her
1: apartment when she got home. Joanne completes the mission and hands the timesheet over to Copeland's team.
8: We discovered that he left work 30 minutes early the day before her body was found, and he was late the morning coming to work that her body was discovered. And it was a little unusual, because he was a very punctual and on-time employee. So that was out of character for Drew.
3: I realized that, oh my goodness, um, maybe, maybe he did this. That was the first time that I had a really significant question in my head about it.
1: Next, Copeland asks Joanne to monitor Drew's workspace and let him know if he discards anything that could have his DNA on it a water bottle, utensils, loose hairs. Over the next few weeks, Joanne monitors Planton's workstation every night, and every night, it's the same story.
3: We never found a hair. And we thought, that is so odd, because he has this long hair. Why are we not finding hair? I was getting pretty nervous about things, because I was really starting to feel like he he was involved.
1: Surely, Planton will drop his guard in a more casual setting. On September fifteenth, two 2005, Joanne holds a mandatory employee luncheon at a local restaurant.
3: The detectives had set it up that some undercover detectives would be uh, sitting nearby and would pick up whatever kind of DNA that Drew would leave at the table. Silverware or his glass or napkin, um, you know, anything that he might touch his lips onto.
1: Piece of cake Right.
8: I received a phone call from one of those detectives that said, you're not going to believe this, but Drew Planton is only eating finger food. He has taken his straw out of his cup one time, put it in his cargo pocket, went to the bathroom. He has came back with the straw and placed it back in his cup. And he has not used any utensils to eat since he has been here.
1: Will the Raleigh PD ever get Planton's DNA?
8: We did not understand and um, why Drew Planton had such odd behavior concerning this case if he was not
1: involved. But years of detective work have taught Copeland to be a patient man. It's only a matter of time before Planton slips up. Suspected rapist murderer Drew Planton continues to outwit Raleigh police during a sting at a local restaurant. But his odd behavior only adds fuel to investigators' fire that they're on the right track.
8: Drew Planton finished his lunch, and he went to the dessert table, and he got a small bowl of banana pudding. He came back to the table, and he sat there for a long time trying to figure out how to eat that banana pudding without using the utensil. He could not. So he picked up his fork. He took two small bites, and then he put that fork under the table and he tried to
1: clean it. We'll just see about that. When Planton leaves, police confiscate the fork and send it to the crime lab. Will the proof be on the pudding fork?
8: Well, the lab agent with the State Bureau of Investigation let me know that he had matched six out of the 13 markers to the DNA obtained from the Stephanie Bennett crime scene.
1: It's a partial match. But investigators will need to match 13 out of 13 markers to get a conviction.
8: So we spoke with the personnel at his workplace, and we were all in agreement that he used some things at his workplace that he would naturally discard, that he did not have an expectation of privacy. And one of those was latex gloves.
3: Drew always wore a certain pair of gloves whenever he had to test um, a certain product that we tested. They were out of out of date and so out of style and and um, they they were just Drew's gloves.
1: On October 17th, Joanne assigns Plant a task that will require him to use his gloves. For the first time in months, Drew doesn't suspect a thing.
3: After Drew put the gloves back in the cabinet, the gloves sat in there for the rest of the day. That evening, the SBI came back and retrieved the gloves.
1: The gloves are sent to the crime lab for DNA testing.
8: The next few days was nerve wracking. If the DNA did not match in this case, I would have been
1: blown away. Two days later, Copeland gets the call. And three simple words make everything worthwhile. It's a match. There are few moments in
8: a homicide detective's career that they will ever get a chance to have the feeling that I felt that day.
1: On October 19th, 2005, three and a half years after Stephanie Bennett is found dead in her Raleigh apartment, Drew Planton is arrested for her murder.
3: I never, ever would, in my wildest dreams, would have thought that Drew was a brutal murderer.
2: I would describe Raleigh as a growing city with a small town southern feel. Most of the murders we have are domestics or they are murders where people know each other. And to have a stranger murder was very unusual.
1: The suburban nightmare might feel like it's over. But it's a nightmare from which Stephanie Bennett's family will never be free.
5: When he was arrested, it, it brought back, not that the pain ever went away, but it really made it even worse at that moment. Um, so it was hard. And, and you could finally put a picture with the person that did that to her. And that was a hard picture to face.
6: One of concerns that we had the whole time was that it would happen again to another young lady. And uh, we did everything we could to try to stop that. And I was very proud and happy at the time that they made that arrest. But the case
1: is far from being closed.
8: He was catatonic. He never spoke. He would not respond. and. No time after he was arrested did he speak or have any involvement with
1: anybody. Forensic psychologist Dr. Michael Teague knows a suicide risk when he sees one.
7: He was sort of sitting in, in the uh, interview room, just sort of slumped over, not interested in answering the questions, not trying
1: to make excuses. Planton is put on 24-hour suicide watch. Meanwhile... A small arsenal is found in Planton's apartment.
8: We found a large amount of knives, a large amount of weapons, a large amount of pistols. And I was very surprised.
1: And one final piece of physical evidence linking Planton to Stephanie's murder.
8: There was three laundry baskets sitting in the living room,
1: and one of those laundry baskets was missing from Stephanie Bennett's apartment. Stephanie Bennett, it seems, might not have been Plantin's only target.
8: Relocated a lot of information on numerous women that Drew Planton had either had contact with or observed or watched in the past. We had to go back and contact every single one of those people to make sure they were still living.
1: And just when Copeland thinks things can't possibly get any worse.
8: We discovered some male that had the name Rebecca Hoosman on it. Um, She had an old address located in Michigan, where Drew Planton had resided at one time. We contacted a police department in Michigan and actually discovered from investigators there that she had been the victim of an unsolved murder.
1: Rebecca Huseman was shot in the face outside her Lansing home in 1999, and a bullet casing recovered at the scene matches a gun found in Drew Planton's apartment. Drew Planton has killed before. I think
7: in the Rebecca case, I think it was an aborted act in that he meant to kidnap her and rape and otherwise molest her, but she didn't cooperate. So he aborted the assault, shot, and killed her and make sure she couldn't identify him.
1: Raleigh PD finally has Drew Planton right where they want him, locked up, where he'll never harm another living soul. But the once shy and awkward recluse has one last trick up his sleeve. He somehow talks his way out of suicide watch and hangs himself with a bed sheet in his central prison cell.
6: I was very mad when Planton committed suicide. Uh, he, he controlled my daughter's life and he, he controlled his own destiny. And uh, there were questions that I wanted answers to. Never got them.
8: There are a lot of potential victims out there that maybe we know anything about. And we were hoping that the one person that could give us a definitive answer to all of that was Drew Plant, And now we know he'll never be able to.
1: And as for what really happened that night to Stephanie Bennett, Drew... Took that to his grave. But investigators believe they can surmise how the crime played out.
8: I believe that Drew Planton went home early that day from work. He entered Stephanie Bennett's apartment before she came home. He was lying in wait in the closet. I think she came home. I think he watched her, possibly through a small gap in that closet door, while she carried out her normal activities during the day. And I think when Stephanie Bennett went to bed that night, he attacked her.
1: Drew Planton's demise is a bittersweet victory for Lieutenant Chris Morgan, who retired before Planton was captured.
4: Justice is served, the offender's dead, The offender can no longer harm anyone else. The Raleigh Police Department got truth, as much truth as was possible, and justice for Stephanie Bennett. They found the offender, they charged him. If he hadn't killed himself, we would have convicted him, and in all likelihood, he'd be sitting for however
1: long on death row. The streets of Raleigh are safe once again. Joanne Riley is back to reading the news online and often recalls her days as an amateur detective.
3: I never imagined that I would be the one to help bring him down. I feel a a bond with Stephanie, that I helped her family out.
1: Deanna Powell is fulfilling her new dream of raising a family.
5: Stephanie and I shared a lot together. But we didn't get to share our biggest life events together which would have been getting married having a family and that's what makes me the most upset
1: and maybe just maybe lieutenant chris morgan can buy his last hat
0: Nickelodeon was kid everything. But that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set. An ID true crime event. Sunday, March 17th at 9. On ID and stream on Max.